Odyssey Richmond is the number one shop for all college basketball fans. We've got you covered. WRVA for UVA Hoops, 96-1 for Virginia Tech, WRNL for your VCU Rams. Midday host on WRNL 910 The Fan, Adam Epstein and his VCU alum friends will discuss the VCU basketball program weekly with insight, analysis, and interviews. This weekly podcast will be the answer for all Virginia Commonwealth Hoops fans. Call it! Call it! Call it! Call it! Call it! And this is the Black and Gold Fan Podcast. What's going on, Rams fans? Back here for episode three of the Black and Gold Podcast, an affiliate of the new sports radio 910 The Fan, not 105.1 FM. Here, as always, with Caleb Jones, Connor Bailey, and Chris Mason, I'm Adam Epstein. And let's start with our initial reactions to that Morgan State game. Boy, Caleb, was that a close one. Yeah, it was a little a little tough going into the uh, into the locker room at halftime, only up one point. Uh, we got things going in the second half, uh, especially on offense, and uh, looked a little more complete as a team and uh, ended up winning by 15 or so, which is good to see. So, you know, kind of follow what Caleb was saying. First half, 10 to 28 from the floor. Second half, 14 to 20 from the floor. So, like you said, second half offense was a lot better, and it kind of got us rolling. Last year, I don't think they would have pulled it out as a NIT team, but it was a good sign. Like good VCU teams in the past, we they were able to um, overcome a slow start and got the W. Yeah, my biggest takeaway was the team shot about 30% in the first half, shot about 75% in the second half, overall finished 50%. Not bad, but it really was a tale of two halves there. It was reminiscent of those Wagner and Chattanooga games from early on last year. And Rhodes uh, yesterday said that he scheduled Morgan State for that reason because he knew they'd be tough particularly on the defensive end, uh, which you saw us turn the ball over plenty of times. But they got up into us, and they pressured us pretty good. And I think Rhodes wanted our guys to go through that. I was disappointed with the way we handled the full-court press. Uh, and you mentioned that Morgan State last year was a top-10 defensive team in turning the ball over. So not a great offensive team, but a year ago, they were a very good def- had a very good defense of turning the ball over. And they, they got in our head. I mean, we had 20, is it 24 turnovers last or on Saturday? Yeah, and they had quick, diminutive guards uh, that you don't see every day in the Atlantic 10 and some of the higher levels. But those guys are college basketball players, too. And, uh, you know, they, they've played at a high level all through high school and AAU and coming into college. And those guys aren't going to back down from anybody. And they, they get under your skin. They can steal the ball. Uh, and we, we saw that on Saturday. Yeah, we were playing a little sped up and, and sloppy. And Ace Baldwin and Jaden Nunn will be better. But that was a good test for them early on to face a kind of team that's going to full-court press like that after every made basket. Absolutely. And like I mentioned earlier, 24 turnovers. Well, I, th- I thought down the stretch in the last eight or ten minutes, I thought Ace kind of got it together a little bit. I thought at times he was trying to do a little too much. I thought Jameer Watkins at times has scored the ball very well so far, and he's rebounded the ball very well. I think mentally he's trying to do a tad too much. I think the game will start to come to him. But uh, you mentioned these turnovers, uh, something we just need to clean up a little bit. But overall, a good, steady game against a team that gave us a little punch in the mouth to start with. Yeah, and we had a really good bench performance, right? Zeb Jackson came in, hit a couple shots. David Shriver, man, what was he, three for seven, Caleb? Yeah, I think so. Uh, One of my my main notes uh, that I wanted to make was, Johns, Jackson, and Shriver combined for over half of our points. So uh, the results are in early, hopefully, on our transfers. Uh, they're, they're looking pretty good. And you mentioned Shriver. Shriver's someone we knew coming in here. Hey, how does he uh, – he doesn't really fit the style, typically, of the VCU team, more of a spot-up shooter, uh, played at a lower level. And 
in two games, he hit two threes in the first game, three th- three threes this past weekend. Heck, got eight rebounds on on Saturday. I mean, he's doing what we're asking him to do. Hit a couple threes. He's a big guy, playing the post a little bit, get, get some rebounds. And I've been impressed so far what I've seen from David Shriver. All right, and the game was at the Seagull Center, which means we'll get a crowd review. Time's up, and the professor has arrived at classes with grades in hand. We're going to have recess all the time. How rowdy was the stew last night? Here to grade the crowd's performance, it's Chris Mason, crowd rating. All right, so last week I had a great review of the crowd, um, but now syllabus week is over. It's the real (laughs) thing. Um, and the crowd was not as good as the first home game, in my opinion. Um, I've seen with Connor across from the benches, there was tons of empty seats around us. Calling out, people were calling over their friends, um, purses on seats, not crowded, empty in the corners. I will say the band and student section were excellent. They showed up, they were loud, sounded excellent. So evened out, I'd give that a C minus. I think it's a fair assessment. Uh, overall, again, the students have been good. B- both games, the students have packed the house. When the last couple of years, even going back to 2019, 2020, I've been a little disappointed with the student turnout. turnout. But overall, I thought that the crowd was okay. Didn't get a whole lot to cheer about until the last seven or eight minutes. So yeah. overall, I think your assessment's fair. I want to give the crowd some credit for the turnaround in the second half. I, I think, look, you know, People might have been late showing up. It was quiet in the first half. It was not much to cheer about, like Connor said. You know, we were trailing. You don't see that. We had more turnovers than we forced turnovers, which you don't usually see. But during that run in the second half where it was 10 straight points, it got electric inside the stew. It reminded me of the NIT game last year. It wasn't packed, but everyone there was into it, and it was loud and intense. And there's a lot going on in LA with the marathon and things like that. It was nice weather. There's some factors. So Yeah, I was going to say, the crowd seemed pretty engaged, especially half when Ace hit that shot to put us up double digits. I think uh, you know there, there's a, everyone was a little worried, and he hit that, and there's a sigh of relief, and everyone started to kind of enjoy themselves and get in get into the celebratory uh, mode in the game. No, That was a good point, mentioning the marathon, because walking to the game, I saw everyone was out there, and it was really cool atmosphere, and I was wondering if that kind of hurt the amount of people that we got to come to the Seagull Center. I think it's a fair statement. Uh, you look at the black and gold game, a few, or excuse me, the exhibition game a few weeks ago was the night of the Richmond Kickers playoff game for the first time in, I believe, 14 years. Uh, Richmond Marathon, busy weekend. It's, it has to be a night game because of the, the way the traffic's closed down. But overall, I think Chris's assessment is, is a fair assessment. So now it's time for the Ram of the game. Every week we'll pick a Ram of the game, which is just your player of the game for the VCU Rams. I'll go first, guys, and I'm going to go with Brandon Johns Jr. He had 15 points. He was explosive. He had some energy for for this team and he battled down uh you know in the paint there grabbing rebounds and you know leading the team in scoring that's why he's my ram of the game i thought he was really impressive uh rolled his ankle but fought through it that was huge right i mean i felt like oh no if he comes out in this game here it's close in the second half we're going to struggle but he was able to battle through that ankle injury and really was productive in the second half as well i think it's a good thing that we're uh some of us are choosing brandon johns jr uh for the player of the game twice in a row uh, I am taking David Shriver. I thought that he filled his role and did so very well, like Connor said, chipping in with eight rebounds, going th- hitting three threes. If you can have him do that consistently, that's going to give you such a big lift off the bench. I got to agree with you, Caleb. David Shriver's my player of the game. He, yeah. he provided a spark. The biggest thing is having a having a big who can shoot the three ball in. Adam's choice, Brandon Johns Jr. He didn't hit it at three this game, but he can hit the three ball. But having a someone who can spread the floor a little bit, but also get down low, get some rebounds, and I've I've just been incredibly impressed from him 
for, the, for his first two games, and he's my player of the game for Morgan State. We were getting out-rebounded in the first half there, and then David Shriver came in, and you think of him as he's going to be a defensive liability. He's going to just hit the three ball. No, he was battling down low successfully and grabbing in a lot of boards. I remember one rebound, he specifically grabbed it with one hand, and I was like, man, that guy's a monster down low. It reminded me in the backyard sometimes playing with – I had some friends growing up that were kind of shorter than me. <laughs> Grabbed that rebound, you know, pinned pin it against the other hand. You know, it kind of felt like that. I, I remember I remember that exact play. But, uh, yeah, Shriver's, Shriver's impressed me. I'm going ace. Um, nine points, seven steals, plus minus, plus 18, 35 minutes. Just the general point guard, reliable defense, offense, all-around great game. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Ace because the seven steals I felt like was kind of quiet, right? I mean, did you see it? Very quiet. It was quiet. Uh, I just think that he's always in the way on defense. He just has a knack for being playing passing lanes with a lot of anticipation. And, uh, yeah, he racks up steals kind of quietly, but that's just what he does. You're listening to the Black and Gold Fan Podcast. I'm Adam Epstein here with Caleb Jones, Connor Bailey, and Chris Mason. We're all diehard fans of the VCU basketball team, and every week each of us has our own seb- segment. Caleb Jones is the Stat Monster. What in God's holy name are you blathering about? Let's hand it off to Caleb Jones, the Stat Monster. So the first stat to touch on uh, is going to be how many turnovers we have a game. I was hoping that we'd have less than 12. We all We doubled up on that having 24 versus 21 for them. Uh, Don't like seeing teams turn over the ball less than we do. But I'm going to give us a bit of a pass. That's because Morgan State is actually a pretty good team on defense. Uh, They played Xavier before they played us, who's a a quality quality team, and uh, they forced 20 turnovers against them. So uh, not, not too far off from what we did. They played Penn State Allegheny. I have no idea who that is or how good they are. They forced... Where is it? 38 turnovers. Yeah, they scored 130 points in that game, too. (laughs) Yeah. So, anyways, a lot of turnovers. That's like an AAU game where you just get pressed to death. But, at any rate, that's a lot of turnovers. So, Morgan State can guard you, and I want to give a little tip of the cap to them. It was a good test, though, for our young guards. And I think Coach Rhodes has to figure out a way to get Jaden Nunn going offensively. And I don't know if that was, you know, he was scared to turn the ball over or more. It was just in Ace Baldwin's hand. But... You know, I think that has to do with the amount of turnovers we had is that Jaden Nunn was kind of forcing it because he wasn't getting the open looks he's used to getting. Residency on Jaden Nunn's part. Um, so uh, that is a a uh, storyline to monitor as we go forward because we certainly need his punch uh, uh, scoring in, in the box score. Um, the second thing was our adjusted Kim Palm defensive efficiency. We dropped down to 38 in, in a positive way from 44 to 38. So that's good. Um, as the season progresses, I think that we're going to, uh, to climb. And then uh, Jalen Deloach, he had four fouls, uh, so three last game, four in this one, averaging three and a half, which is okay. We just need to keep him from getting into foul trouble. Did he have any of the dumb fouls that you hate? He did not have any dumb fouls. There, there you go. They were just straight-up fouls. Yeah, and, uh, I can live with that. <laughs> one of the offensive fouls was just, uh, as soon as he got the ball, I was like, I could just, I could see. <laughs> You know, kind of, kind okay, of, kind so of, there's one. <laughs> but it, but for what it's worth, it wasn't, it wasn't a moving, moving pick or anything, but it was one of those where you take a dribble, I'm like, he's going to call for a charge in a second, and it happens. But, uh, yeah. So. How many and, blocks did he have? Because I felt like he was kind of protecting the rim pretty well. He only had one block. Yeah, but he had one block. I think, yeah. like we've said before, 
I don't know how many shots that Deloach is going to block over the course of the season, but he he's a space monster. He eats up the paint. He anchors us on defense. And if you're not blocking shots, altering them is just as good as long as you keep them from going. Right. Away. He disrupts the timing. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, he, yeah, he he eats up the paint for us. Him and Brandon Johns. So they kind of do it in tandem, and um, we're we're going to need that going forward. So um, the only other thing I wanted to point out, which we already kind of did, but. Uh, Brandon Johns Jr., Zeb Jackson, and Shriver accounting for over 50% of our points is is huge. If we can get that kind of output out of those three individuals, uh, this team's going to go a long way because I think we know what we're going to get with Ace, Jameer, Deloach, etc. You bring up Zeb Jackson. He's someone who hasn't gotten a ton of minutes in each game. He got 13 this past Saturday. He's someone, I think when he's played, he's looked very good and very efficient. Uh, and he's someone who, in a, in a situation at his previous school, Michigan, didn't get a ton of PT. His first year was sick. Last year, he battled an injury. So he's not someone who came from anywhere where he was getting a ton of playing time. So I think he's okay where he's at now. I think he's a guy on some A-10 play. He's going to be closer to 20 minutes a game because he just looked efficient while he's played. Yeah, I want him to get more minutes, man. I mean, he just looks like the kind of guy that can score the ball anytime you get it to him. Defensively. He's one of the best, you know, perimeter defenders we have. He's lengthy. He's great in full court press and and in transition as well with his athletic ability. Yeah, he looks as advertised so far this season. The only conundrum is he's probably eating into Jaden Nunn's minutes. But maybe we dial back Ace a little bit and give him a rest, especially in his own. Yeah, Ace played a ton of minutes. 35, 35 <laughs> minutes each game so far. So and, and um, Zeb just played thirteen to your point. So. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, game breaker, why we won the game. I'll go first, and I don't know what Coach Rhodes said to the boys at halftime. Well, I do know in the press conference, David Shriver said that they're out hustling us, they're out physicaling us, and, and being more physical to us, and that's what we bring at VCU. So Coach Rhodes was really upset with the guys at halftime in the second half. It was a completely different game. So why did we win that game? We shot almost 75% for most of the second half. That was a complete 180. Yeah, I think it's pretty cut and dry. We started handling their pressure a little better. Um, and started hitting some shots, which, again, is kind of simple, but that uh, that made the difference. Go with you guys. Hit, put the ball in the hoop a little better. Uh, yeah. thought we tried to force it a little bit early on. Heck, I look at someone. I mentioned Jameer Watkins earlier. He's someone I feel like is trying to do too much. He's shooting over 50% from the floor right now, so he's putting the ball in the hoop. Maybe turning the ball over a tad, but he's he's someone who had a couple buckets in the second half. Had five of his ten points were in the second half. So we just put the ball in the hoop in the second half, and that's pretty much <laughs> it's the main reason we won this game. You're listening to the Black and Gold Fan Podcast with Adam Epstein, Caleb Jones, Connor Bailey, and Chris Mason. All right, Connor, you're heading up to New York, so start us off your scouting report for Arizona State. So, uh, like you said, I'm heading up to New York this Thursday, so I'm not. I'll be watching the Arizona State game here, but I'll catch us in the in the following game. But uh, Arizona State's a team I look at. Uh, a lot of success from 2018 through 2020. Heck, in 2018, Ken Palm 49. 2019, Ken Palm 57, and but both those years they received 11 seeds in the NCAA tournament, played in the first four, and then in 2020 they their Ken Palm ranking was 63, a probable 10 or 11 seed. So that's three years of an NCAA worthy team. Last two years have been kind of a mixed bag. Uh, two years ago they went 11 and 14, and last year they went 14 and 17. Both times Ken Palm top 100 teams, so they've had talent just hadn't really worked out. What I'm interested in is they have a slew of transfers, one of which we have a former a few players on our team that know. 
Frankie Collins, leading scorer through three games for them, is a Michigan. He was on Michigan's roster last year. He's a Michigan transfer. Mm. Only averaged six minutes a game at Michigan last year. But we're in a situation where Brandon Johns Jr. and Zeb Jackson are this player. But he's been their leading scorer through three games. He also had eight rebounds last game, so he's a guard that you know hits the glass. So he can hoop. Uh, DJ Horn, who I've known about for a few years, he played at Illinois State. He's He was their leading scorer last year. Uh, Marcus Bagley, brother of, I believe, is it current Piston Marvin Bagley? Yeah, Marvin Bagley yeah. the third. third yeah, yeah. Uh, former Duke player from 2018. And then you have another transfer, Devin, uh, I guess it's Devin Kingbridge. Uh, played three years at Auburn. Kind of a guy, kind of like Brandon Johns Jr. Didn't get a ton of playing time at Auburn. Uh, got played, wasn't a starter, but a rotational player. So these are guys, transfer players. Maybe they're better later in the year, but uh, so there's talent there. It's kind of like us. What are they going to do? Yeah, it seems like they're starting to gel a little bit. Uh, obviously, losing to Texas is less than ideal, so I don't know if they have everything quite figured out yet. They got they got the guns the, to uh, to play with probably anybody. I mean, they're athletic. One thing I, I did notice about them, they're bigs. They're kind of like us. They're pretty thin in the post. They're tall, crazy athletic, and can jump, but they're thin. So we'll see how we match up with them there, but I, I think we should be pretty like-for-like like with them. I have a personal connection to ASU, my grandfather played there in like the 50s and, oh. and he's uh not he's not buying into this squad oh really <laughs> i told him it was on uh espn plus last night and he's like oh, i'm not watching that <laughs> <laughs> and they just lost to texas southern like caleb mentioned and i don't like this spot for vcu because i feel like now they're going to be really focused and being like okay we just came off a loss so uh a little more nervous than i would have been had they not lost that yeah, one thing I like to look into is how many times the team turns the ball over. So ASU right now averaging 16.5 turnovers a game, but Frankie Collins, the guy we were talking about a lot, has five turnovers a game. So if VCU is able to do their Havoc press, they should be able to force Arizona into making a lot of mistakes. Three games, 39 assists, and that's a big number. So you mentioned the turnovers, 16.5, so that evens uh, 50 in three games. 39 assists to 50 turnovers. we got to turn the ball over tomorrow night. Yeah, I, I think they're very susceptible to turning the ball over. When I've watched them, it hasn't been a ton, but they look a little disorganized. And from a Bobby Hurley coach team, they don't look as exactly uh, I don't know, as polished as you think they would. Speaking of turnovers, let me turn it over to Caleb and Connor. Can you give me a little history of the Legends Classic? So we've played in the Legends Classic twice, actually. Uh, I believe it's about eight or nine years old. Uh, and I, I know it's bounced around from Brooklyn to last year it was in Newark, uh, the old, I guess the uh, the Devils hockey team plays there. But uh, we played in this tournament our senior year, 2014-15. We were leading Villanova by about four with like 17 to go in the second half. Then they hit five straight threes on five straight possessions. I was watching that during my HR management, my 7-9-40 HR management Monday night class. <laughs> and I'm sitting there and it's five straight threes. Uh, we beat Oregon the next night, who ended up being an eight seed in the NCAA tournament. So we have experience there. We also played there four years ago, 2018-2019 season. We beat Temple, who ended up being in the first four that year, so a good win over Temple. And then we got beat by St. John's when – Marcus Evans was fouled. And he uh, <laughs> allegedly got fouled. But, yeah, that, that, that game was oh, a frust- was. That was a frustrating one because, like, we had, like, 22 turnovers in that game. Isaac Van had 30 I, points I was going to say Isaac Van went nuclear that game. Man, the Vanimal. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, a mixed bet. We've gone one and one both times. Uh, in the Legends Classic, it's a good tournament. There's good teams, and that's why this Arizona State game is big. You know, beating Arizona State doesn't probably won't put us in the tournament, but it's a complimentary win if you have other good wins as the season goes on. Well, I think it's huge. Uh, like we mentioned last episode, that we need to beat them to play Michigan. It's just such a resume building block. Where whereas I don't think Pitt would be. 
Um, so we just have to get into that game with Michigan. You think at the get end there. of the year when they are deciding who's on the bubble and who's in, they're going to look back at a Legends Classic? I think more so from a metrics standpoint where Michigan will bring up your metrics, whereas Pitt would not. I'll say one thing. If, we had him from, if I'm heading him from Brooklyn Sunday and we, our record's 1-1 one and one, and we have a loss against Arizona State and a win against Pittsburgh, and this is – Pitt could beat Michigan for all we know. That, it could happen, but a – that's a bummer of a result to go one and one with a win over or with a loss against Arizona State and a win over Pitt. Pitt has only been inside the top hundred of Ken Palm once in Jeff Cape since Jeff, Jeff Capel's been the coach there. It's but, just it's not a good win. No, you're right, but that is the interesting storyline: is Jeff Capel could play against VCU in a few days. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, both of our Michigan guys playing against their former team, which uh, which will be very interesting because I think that they probably know their current players very well. Oh, and they want to so, show up. Like, yeah, I asked yeah. Brandon Johns Jr. about that after the game. Yeah. I, I tried to set him up here and be like, look, I know it's day-to-day. And you're trying to just take one game at a time, but how much do you want to go kick Michigan's ass? And, you know, he took the professional answer, but I could see in his voice and in his facial expression, like, he wants to go out there and score 30. I mean, what, what could motivate you more? Right. And after watching them, I forget who they – oh, Eastern Michigan with Imani Bates. That was a great that, game. Awesome game. And Eastern Michigan looked like the better team the entire game. I'll, I'll, I just like the way that we would match up with them. Well, but. that's the thing is I don't know how we'll match up against Hunter Dickinson. He scored 31 against uh, Eastern Michigan, and that's going to be the key to them against VCU. Or even if they play Arizona State, you know they're going to go down low to him possession after possession after possession. He's tough to stop, man. Yeah. I don't know if we have anyone that's big enough physically to stop him. Nah, you, you don't. But you just you put that on Brandon Johns Jr.'s shoulders, and you say, "Look, man, it's the, the, this is for you. Yeah, take care of it down low." And I, I think that he would give you a hell of an effort. With all this talk about Michigan and Pitt, uh, obviously it'd be cool to play against Jeff Jeff Capel coach team. Uh, I don't want to play against a Jeff Capel coach team. I want to play against Michigan. I want to see Phil Martelli, Michigan associate head coach, face off against his son, Jimmy Martelli, VCU director of operations. I want to see a DeMatha High School product, Hunter Dickinson, uh, challenge his former teammate, Brandon Johns Jr. I want to see a Princeton transfer who played at the Siegel Center last year, Jalen Llewellyn. He's from Virginia Episcopal in Lynchburg. I want to see these local guys. I want to see Jawan Howard's kids, Jet and Jace, play against yeah. us. Yeah. I want to see him play Michigan. We, uh, we also recruited Jalen Llewellyn in the transfer portal after this past NIT. And uh, he obviously spurned us for Michigan, which I can't fault him too much for because that's a good place to land. But, uh, yeah, let's beat him for that too. Connor, talk just a little bit more about the benefits of just getting to play a team like Michigan. The bottom line is you kind of mentioned about uh, the bubble and resumes and whatnot. Uh, Playing a team like Michigan, I'll I'll point out our 2018-2019 season. We had the number two out-of-conference strength of schedule that year. We were an NCAA 8 seed with a good resume, not a great resume. We be, we won a road game at Texas, who was 35, but they were an IT team. We played at UVA, number two in the net that year. We played t- two top 75 teams at a neutral site. We played at ODU, top 75 team. Pittsburgh's their best is going to be inside the top 100. Michigan has been a top 50 Ken Palm team since 2016. Even if they're not great, heck, last year they were an 11 seed. Their Ken Palm was still top 40. Plant, you want to, If you're a team like VCU and you want the best from VCU, you don't want to play cupcakes the whole year. And right now, the current uh, top 25, Michigan, is ranked number 20, and that'll be our best opponent of the year besides Dayton, who's ranked number 21. Yeah. The last thing I wanted to say about playing in the Legends Classic is it gives us an opportunity to play in the Barclays Center. Good point. Sounds kind of dumb, but especially for the young guys, like let's let Fats, for example, or Toby Lowell. It, it, I mean, it's a big opportunity for them to play on that stage and probably get a little comfortable next time they go back in the conference tournament. 
you're more comfortable than you would have been had you had you not played there. Yeah, I don't know if it's the environment. Like, it's not like it's going to be packed with VCU fans like it will be in March. It's not like, you know, the arena is going to be really well filled. I think it's more about depth perception yeah. of the basket in an NBA court. You know, I mentioned it a little bit on my show today is the fact is that you're playing on an NBA court. It's not like you're playing with an NBA three-point line, but you're playing in an NBA environment, which is going to be something that they're going to need to work on. You mentioned that. The Arizona State game specifically, it's the late game of the night. It's a Wednesday night in Brooklyn Yeah, for a Pac-12 school and an A-10 school. Probably not going to be a filled arena. And like you said, those NBA arenas, Barclays is, is built a little differently than some of these hockey or these hockey NBA arenas. But still, I mean, you have guys that were playing in high school last year. It, unless our transfers have played at the Barclays Center, no no recruited BCU player from this team has played at the Barclays Center. So yeah. unless one of our transfers has played there. Um, so it's 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 a step up. You're in the bright lights and whatnot. And I tell you, man, Thursday when I walk into the Barclays Center, the smell of Barclays, like you said, it, it's it's like going into a casino, man. It just it, There's a different smell to it, and I can't wait. All right, let's go around the A-10 here. Any big ma- uh, ma- matchups coming up this week that we wanted to mention, Connor? Uh, well, tonight you got St. Louis and Memphis. Uh, which is big. It also kind of gives us a look. I, I, I think that's a good game as a measuring stick. That's a great um, game. Because we play Memphis on Sunday. So you're going to see exactly how you stack up against, uh, well, you know, comparing yourself to someone like St. Louis is supposed to be at the top of the league. Do we play St. Louis twice this year or is it just once? We do, yeah. Oh, wow. So yeah. this is really a good scouting uh, matchup tonight on CBS. Yeah. And, and not to pass over that, but Dayton plays UNLV tonight. I was looking at UNLV's roster, just kind of curious what they have. They they're like top six leading scores are all guards that are six five and under. So I don't really know how well they're going to match up with Dayton. Uh, I saw the spread was like four and a half, but I could see Dayton walking in that thing pretty easy. How about seven p.m. on Thursday, Wichita State at the Robin Center facing off against Richmond? Could be a good game. Uh, Richmond, if you were watching last night, uh, came back from I think it was 15, 18. 18 down to Charleston. Charleston, a typically typically a competitive team, one of the better teams in the CA, came down had a six point lead in the second half. Or in, in overtime, but unfortunately lost. So that'll be a good game. Wichita State two years ago, and play tournament team, kind of mediocre last year. Uh, they but, dropped a head scratcher to start this season. Wichita State did. Okay, I can't yeah. remember who it was, but are you like epitome of brutality head scratcher? Not, not not quite epitome of brutality head scratcher, okay. but it was uh, it was it wasn't a good loss. Okay, and speaking of Thursday, you have Colorado playing UMass down in Myrtle Beach. Colorado, a team who they definitely had an epitome of brutality loss, and then they beat Tennessee on the road by like yeah. fifteen. Uh, so th- this past weekend, you mentioned games. Nothing, nothing real noteworthy in the past few days. A lot of just wins by like five to ten. Uh, St. Louis kind of, kind of. Apparently, St. Louis's Evansville, the eighteen point win this Saturday was kind of like our game against Morgan State, just kind of slow. So no major news from the A ten in the past few days. This is the Black and Gold Fan Podcast, and normally we release episodes on Thursday, giving you a Tuesday edition because of the Legends Classic. But one thing we like about doing the shows on Thursdays, you get a little throwback Thursday. It's time for Connor's segment. This week in VCU basketball history. Every episode, Connor will break down a memorable game in VCU basketball history that took place during this week in time. This upcoming Monday, the 21st of November, will be 13 years since number 17 Oklahoma came to the Siegel Center. So, little backstory: Jeff Capel III, who we've previously mentioned as the coach at Pitt, was coach at VCU from 2002 to 2006. Uh, it's kind of funny. The players in 2006, it was, it was seventh grade spring break for me. I remember I was at the ball fields volunteering that night when apparently the players for VCU found out via ESPN bottom line that Jeff Capel was going to Oklahoma. 
So probably not the best way to find out your you know your boss is, is leaving for another job. But <laughs> coached at Oklahoma for a couple of years, and his first few years were kind of building the program up. Kelvin Sampson had left, gone to Indiana. There were some recruiting violations. But he landed a pretty pretty darn good recruit, Blake Griffin. So first year at Oklahoma, 2007-2008, there were six seed, won a tournament game. But the following year, 08-09, uh, very good team, two seed in the NCAA tournament, made the Elite Eight. VCU, part of the whole contract process with VCU, many are familiar with, is with whenever a coach signs a contract with VCU, if they leave in the contract, if they leave for another job, you have to play a home-and-home home against VCU. So we went to the, at the time, Ford Center, where the Thunder play. And it was a pretty competitive game for the most part. I remember uh, Larry Sanders got in foul trouble, and we were kind of doomed. But it was a pretty competitive game. But we had the return trip here. Unfortunately, our coach who coached the first game, Anthony Grant, had left for another job. So this was Coach Shaka Smart's third game at BCU. <laughs> so number 17, Oklahoma, comes here. A lot of publicity that year. Willie Warren was actually the sporting news preseason player of the year but i liked him they had keith tiny gallon i believe he's an oak hill guy i'm pretty sure yeah he is keith i always call him keith tiny gallon i love that nickname they had one of my favorite players at oklahoma tony crocker he was always famous for wearing the white long sleeves you didn't you don't see that from a lot of basketball players but they were predicted to be pretty good unfortunately they ended up having a losing season that year but big news they're the team top 25 team for the first time in 10 years since louisville came to the seagull center on opening night in 99 so the game was pretty oklahoma were you there, Caleb? First of all, yeah. So I was there. I was a junior in high school. I guess you were just you were just out of, out of school at that point, right? Oh nine. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. So yeah, I just graduated college that past spring. So we kind of handily won that game. We led forty four to thirty four at the half. Outscored them thirty eight thirty five in the second half. One eighty two to sixty nine. Shot nine to twenty five from three. Just kind of blew. We controlled that whole game. It was never really that close either. Uh, so it was just a memorable day. It was the first time in 10 years that a ranked team even visited the Seagull Center. Whereas wow. in the in the A-10 era, especially the first few years, St. Louis was t- uh, consistently ranked. We were consistently ranked. St. Joe's came here as a ranked team. Dayton's come here as a ranked team. Dayton's come here as a number seven team in the nation. St. Bonaventure two years ago was ranked. So you've had a lot of teams that are ranked, potentially Dayton and St. Louis this year. LSU, UVA, named down the list. You have a lot of ranked teams, at least one a year. But it's a 10-year stretch where that didn't happen. So it was a huge game. It was a huge game for Coach Smart. Uh, and a really good out-of-conference that year. And that was coming off a win against Bethune-Cookman. And then we went to Western Michigan three days before the Oklahoma game, led by, I think, 17 in the first half, ended up losing by 16. I remember I had – that was my junior year of high school. We had powder puff field hockey that night, and a friend of the pod, Dan Hunt, actually got kicked out of that game. But, uh, you know, he's he's a big fan of the pod, so I had to give him a little shout-out. But, uh, anyways, three days later, I'm like, we're, we just lost to Western Michigan. We're going to lose to Oklahoma. And then we come here, we dominate the whole game. Larry Sanders had a – oop towards the end of the game where he just I mean he's just pumping his fist this is this is before Larry really really kind of stopped caring for a while but uh (laughs) he was hooping I feel like Jay Gavin went off that game okay so Caleb's trying to beat me to it so but no hold on before you go on Connor where was Blake Griffin he was so he 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 was he was sitting out that first year as remember he got drafted by the Clippers in 2009 first of all and broke his he had knee surgery that summer so he missed that whole 09 10 season of the Clippers so we we played Blake Griffin in December of 08 Eric Maynard's senior year in in Oklahoma City so gotcha. we, we played them on the road game when they came back it was Willie Warren Sporting News preseason player of the year Keith Tiny Gallon Tony Crocker so the only downside Oklahoma ended up having a losing record that year Capable's gone two years late or one year later. But overall, so uh, Caleb already mentioned one thing. Uh, Jay Gavin, we'll get to him in a second. Can you name that starting five from that night? I'm going to go for it. So I think Joey was at one uh, because he was going to leave when Grant left. He, he was going to go to Rollins, I think, in Florida and that decided to stay. Don't you have some family that went to Rollins? My, my dad yes. uh, for two years, and then he went to VCU. Yep. Yeah, Joey left for a week or two. It was like two weeks yeah. or so. 
Um, so Joey, I'm gonna say Rozelle at two, Ed at three, Kirill at four, Larry at five. Ed Nixon is who you're yeah, talking about. Ed yeah, Ed Nixon. Of yeah. all things, you got two right. This is a tough one. Ooh. Joey and Larry are correct. Yeah, those Jay, are the obvious ones. Jay Gavin started that night. I, see, I thought he came off the bench and just... Bradford Burger nuts. started that night. TJ oh. Gwynn Sr. started that night. Ah. I had TJ Gwynn written right there. So, <laughs> so that's a t- it's a tough one. I, I, I would not have guessed Jay Gavin. So, a little backstory if you're a newer Ram fan. Jay Gavin was a transfer from... I'm pretty darn sure it was Marist. Yep. Transfer from Marist. Sat out Anthony Grants last year, 08-09, as a transfer uh, sit-out year. Next season... Played really well early on. Had 20 points in this game. He was he was the best player on the floor. Four of eight from three. Four for four from the line. 20 points. Then he like didn't play other than we beat Towson in February. 112 points on him off the bench. He played well. Then he transferred to Bowie State. So Brandon Rozell pretty much took his minutes. But yeah, Jay uh, Jay Gavin started with 26 minutes. Larry Sanders played. Joey 28. Bradford 31. TJ Gwynn 27. Ed Nixon had a very good game. 10 points. He had a big. I remember there was a big play where they threw the ball to Larry Sanders and he threw a assist right back to, to Ed for a dunk. So he Ed played the the more minutes than one of the starters. But uh Jay Gavin was the baller that night and it's just kind of funny cuz he really only had one or two other good games. So I, f- I forgot that was Bradford's was his who that was his freshman year, right? Sophomore that, sophomore year. Uh, okay. cuz he's he's the year below. So this is all this is Joey, Larry, Rozell and Nixon's junior year. The only senior on that team, the two seniors were Kirill Pashanikov and TJ Gwynn. So this was the year before the Final Four. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. And this is a year which it, I, I was told I was told once that the players didn't quite buy in, but uh, that year was pr- we had some good good moments, but uh, not as not as good as about a year and a half later. But that's this week in history. It's uh, beating Oklahoma at the Stew. I love that. Good and game. people, can, if you're listening to this and you want to guess. Uh, who the starting five is, you know it's a fun bit. We we do every single week. Connor will tell you the game, the date, and the score. You tweet us who you thought was the starting five. We each have a segment. Mine is about energy. Why? Because I just love this team so much. It's time for AWOD's Energy. What about VCU Hoops has AWOD pumped up for this week? I mean, how can you not be pumped up? It's pretty easy. It's pretty obvious. Three games in five days, right? Two games against uh, opponents in the Legends Classic from the Barclays Center, and then Sunday at Memphis. Three games in five days. John Rothstein tweeted last week, a trip to the Seagull Center more life-altering than a 10-day Euro trip. When he tweets that, it tells me it's officially college hoops seg- season here. So that's what I'm bringing the energy about. Three games in five days? You like our chances, Caleb? I love them. This is the heart of our out-of-conference schedule, uh, and this is where we build our resume. So we got to come in ready to play. And I think in the first two games, the guys showed that, uh, that they're gelling together and they get along as a team. Now let's go uh, play, show against some of the best competition in the country. Get a, get a win against the Sun Devils on Wednesday, and the rest of it will take care of itself. You've been listening to the Black and Gold Fan Podcast, an affiliate of the new sports radio 910 The Fan, not 105.1 FM. Chris, where can they get in touch with us on social media? It's at the Black and Gold Fan Pod. A little iteration of that on both Twitter and Instagram, and you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, by searching Odyssey of after you type in the black and gold fan pod. And what is it I hear that you were doing some like grassroots marketing last week after the pod? Oh yeah, I met some friends at a curbside and was uh, got some downloads and subscribers there, so I'm always yapping about it. I tell you, man, uh, just chatting with the people behind me at the stew on Saturday. Got a few, got a few names out. Uh, gave our pod out. My brother's done a big mic. He was mentioned last week as a little great job getting the word out. Like you said. Uh, 
Check our Instagram. Check out our Twitter. Check out our iTunes, Spotify. Let's roll. Caleb, though, I am challenging you. You're a hardcore season ticket holder. You're there every game. I want everyone in your section to know that you're the stop, stat monster and one of the co-hosts of this podcast. They're going to know. They're going to be telling me to shut up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll see you guys next week. Go Rams.